Hey guys, this is Mo Sider from the Detroit Red Wings. You guys listen to Lockdown Red Wings. You're Locked On Red Wings, your daily podcast on the Detroit Red Wings. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. All right, everybody, welcome back to the Lockdown Red Wings podcast. Today is Friday, July 9th, 2021. And today's episode is brought to you by Spotify Green Room. Uh, we missed this week, but typically every Thursday at five o'clock, we'll be going live on Spotify Green Room. So download the app uh, and join us next week on Thursday at five o'clock to get in on the action. Fortunately, I have a uh, press conference to attend at that time this week. So it is a no go, but we will get to you next week. I'm Nolan Bianchi. I got Scotty Bentley with me, and we have an interview with Tim Army, the head coach of the Iowa Wild. We're here to talk to him about what Alex Tangay is going to bring to the Detroit Red Wings and hopefully bring to their power play. How do you run a good power play? He really breaks it all down for us uh, and you guys at home. Scotty, what did you like most about the way uh, that Tim Army kind of broke down you know, what to expect from Alex Tangay because he went about as in-depth as you possibly can? Yeah, I, I think the most intriguing part for me was when he talked about how Tangay sees the game and mm-hmm. how his how his brain works, like at a very like deep level, like how he, he sees the game and how he sees defenders move and stuff, and how that translates into him being such a good coach. I think that's uh, that's the the most intriguing piece for me by far, just because if if even a sliver of that gets translated into, into the system or our players, then I think we're going to be golden. Yeah. And he, uh, one of the guys he brought up was Adam Oates and Adam Oates is a name who around the coaching community has been uh, maybe the hottest name in like individual skills coaching works with a lot of top guys in the game, Connor McDavid, I think Jack Eichel, like guys like that. Uh, And he compared him to Adam Oates. He says he sees the game like Adam Oates does in very similar uh, fashion. Uh, So there's a lot to be excited about. Like by the time that you're done with this, I think you will be convinced that the Red Wings will at least have, you know, like a a five to 10, you know, standings increase i have no idea but i think you're going to be excited also we end the interview by asking him uh about he was the assistant coach his first nhl assistant coaching gig was with the anaheim mighty ducks and his very first game ever was the first game at arrowhead pond uh against the red wings when they had like the the crazy wild wing flying out and like the they had them in like jumpsuits and like these crazy animatronics were going and all that kind of stuff so we talked to him about that at the end it's a super fun episode i hope you guys enjoy it uh we are going to be hitting the draft profiles hard starting next week we got mikhail Holm, tony ferrari uh, i think sam mcgilligan interviews already booked uh and because we kind of took the first couple of days of the week off this week we'll probably be doing six episodes a week uh, until draft day on July 23rd. So be sure to check back here every single day for a new pair of draft profiles. Make sure you're the smartest fan come draft season. Uh, I think that's all I got for you folks. Let's send you off into the interview. All right. We are now joined by the head coach of the Iowa wild. It is Tim army here to talk to us today about what Alex Tangay can bring to the Detroit Red Wings. Obviously he was hired uh, last week, two weeks ago. 
last week uh, to, to run the power play uh, did some great things with the wild, both their offense and their power play. So we're going to talk to Tim. Let us welcome him in. Tim, thanks for joining us today. It's great to uh, great to talk to you. Thanks for having me guys. I appreciate it. Now uh, we do have some reservations about Alex Tang. I'm sure you can imagine he is the first player of the avalanche Red Wings rivalry to uh, cross the quote unquote bridge as Chris Draper put it. Um, and you yourself have, have some history uh, with the Colorado avalanche organization. So how can we be sure that none of this is a setup? That is my first question. <laughs> yes. We want to know how many <laughs> cell phones he has. Yes. That's <laughs> It could it could be set up. You, you, you have to be on your toes. Uh, that was quite a rivalry when I, I was in Colorado for six years and it was not the rivalry was not the same when, when I was in Colorado. In fact, I think we were so young with players like Landis and O'Reilly and Duchesne. It was a young group uh, at that point. You know, they actually kind of looked up to guys like Datsuk and Zetterberg. It was a it was a uh, Lidstrom. It was a different animal by then. Uh, by the time I was coaching in, in Colorado, but Tangs goes back to the the real rivalry. So yeah, you may have to keep your eye on him. <laughs> it could be it could be a plant, um, but uh, it is interesting that he's kind of the first crossover from that from from that time. That will be uh, that will be very interesting. It's insane how long it took. Like, just shows you how, I don't know, because, like, plenty of those dudes still work in hockey. And it just shows how deeply do- rooted that, that rivalry was that it took, you know, almost 30 years at this point to, to actually get through and have some of those people cross the border of the other side. It's wild. Well, I was with the team for the Coors Field game. I was, I was mm. Patrick's assistant, assistants. And uh, so they had, you know, alumni game was incredible. Uh, with, with, and so the night before, and I, you know, they had the game, uh, and it, and it was, uh, the star power was incredible. You think about the players that were playing on both teams at that time, it, it was, it's amazing. And the hall of famers and just the great players in, in the league. And so that game was incredible with, with the number of players and, you know, I, I, obviously being on the ab side of it and, and it was, you know, the guys had fun with it, the alumni guys, but they wanted to win. It was mm-hmm. like, it wasn't, uh, it wasn't just about going out and having some fun and putting a show on for the fans that the, the, it was about winning the, the, you could feel it was tangible for sure. It was tangible. The, 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 the rivalry and the stakes uh, uh, to w- what the teams played against each other, the the the, the number of series, the, the important series, and uh, you could feel it was very tangible. Like the guys enjoyed it; they were happy to be together. It was a great event, but they wanted to win, and and so it, I, I think, yeah, and, that, and that's you know that's uh, uh, a few years removed, and and uh, some of those uh, some of those uh, feelings were were very much alive still. I made a joke the other day that I'll never be able to hear Alex or like whenever I read Alex Tangay's voice, I will always hear it in Gary Thorne's voice because that's just like, that's just instantly what it takes me back to. Now, uh, what are some, some pillars? I feel like this is a good place to start. What are some pillars of an Alex Tangay power play and how long did those take to kind of come to fruition? Was it something where it took him a while to install a system or was it right away? He kind of tweaked some things that made a difference. No, because 
Uh, two years ago, so in 2019-20, uh, Alex didn't do the power play. Brett McLean did it. And, and Brett is now in, is an assistant in Minnesota. Uh, after the, the 2019-20 season, Brett McLean and Freddie Shabbat, who was our goaltending coach, they both have now moved up to the Big Wild and they're on Dean Emerson's staff in Minnesota. So that first year, uh, Mac moved uh, we, we made a change in the summer of 2019 and Mac moved to the defenseman side and ran the power play. And then Tangs came in, Alex came in, worked on the forward side of it and he did the penalty kill. And then this past year, so then when, when Mac went up, when Brett and Freddie went up last summer, because of COVID, uh, we just opted not, we didn't fill the other position. Uh, we moved Alex over, where, where Brett had been uh, with the defense. And then because it was just the two of us, uh, I do the five on five and, 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 and um, Alex, because he had done the PK the year before did the PK and then he did the power play last year. So as a, as a pillar uh, and we had an outstanding power play and now this was my third year in Iowa. So in 2018, 19, the first time we ever made the playoffs we got beat by chicago in the second round but we had a good power play that year and then the next year we had outstanding power play uh so as you moved into this year we lost actually all five guys that were on that power play uh the only one that came back was jerry mayhew jerry started in minnesota and then and then came back to us so the big thing was for alex was to find the right the right mix who who who, who was the, the, the challenge for any power play uh, and putting it together. And, and this year was a bit different because uh, our person, our, our, you know, our, our personnel changed quite a bit, but was to find a lot of new guys that hadn't played it before and where they best fit on it, what would play to their strengths and how would they fit with one another? So that's, that's the biggest challenge. And then you've got to find the right rhythm to it. So you got to get your guys lined up, uh, in the right spots where you can maximize their ability. They got to fit with the other four guys on the unit. And then you got to start divide, to, to devise um, some entries, um, some options in the offensive zone, some things that are, would be particular to that group. And because we had such a good power play the year before, it doesn't necessarily mean that would translate to a new group. And, and so uh, that takes a little bit of time. And I think it, it, it took some time. And so that would be, I think for Alex, and that would be his, his first, his first focus will be where a guy, where you can maximize your ability, who fits well together. And then from there, you want to get a feel for them and what will be some options that they can develop, that they can kind of become the base of their power play. And I think in Detroit, you're, you're pretty left-handed um, heavy, uh, which, which changes the look of your power play because you got a lot of lefties. So you may, you may operate it a little bit differently. So I think there's some things there um, that, that Tangs will, will, will have, that will be what he, that will be his foundation. That will, that will start to be the pillars uh, that he'll have to put into place and then kind of build it from there. Fedorov gives him the business. So one of the big things in the, introductory presser in the first interviews that they they had after the hire that Blaschel really tried to drive home 
was in talking with him, he felt that he had a really unique outlook on the game and saw the game in a really unique way. I guess on a little more specific level, what about his approach is so intriguing or unique and and how is that going to help the team? You have a lot of, you know, there's a lot of really good young players now in the organization. There's been some guys that have played significant minutes in games in Detroit. You've got some guys developing in Grand Rapids that we've seen a lot now over the last three years that are finding their way a, a bit. Uh, and I think he'll be able, um, when you say unique look, yeah, he's going to see it sort of from his eyes and what kind of player he was. And he was, he was a very instinctive player. He had a good sense of what was going on around him. He had a good sense of the opposition, uh, a mind that could process uh, where his guys were, but also where the opposition guys were. So he does have, he does have uh, that. That's what drives him. That's what's innate to him is, is, is that sort of creative mind that he had as a player. And it, and it will be, it will be a benefit uh, in a sense with some really talented players in the organization uh, up front, it will give them an opportunity to kind of explore and challenge them to elevate their games. And, and so th- that will be, uh, that will, that, that will be a, a, a really nice piece of what he'll bring. And he'll talk about stick position, uh, a lot of deception, you know, he builds a lot on deception and I get, I get it. to say that he wants to, he has a sense of where the defenders are. So that's the deception piece of it. So you want to get them to move because you know, you're going somewhere else, but you got to get them to move first before you go somewhere else with it. It's sort of the master of the chessboard. I guess the best guy right now is Kucherov, right? When you watch Kucherov on the sure. power play, it's incredible how he builds. It, it looks the plays that he makes are brilliant, but he set them all up. He's moved everybody because he knows where he's going with it, but he's got to move everybody in, a, in another way, another area so he can make that pass. So I think Tang's had that sort of, he had that instinct as a player. And I think when you say a unique view of things, it will be that sort of setting things up with deception, whether it's five on five or on the power play, using your, your feet to, 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 uh, to change angles, uh, to, to get an advantage on the defender, your stick position, how to, how to extend your stick to create more space for yourself, uh, what you're looking for. I think those, when you say a very creative mind, and I think that's kind of the unique view uh, that that Jeff is talking about in respect to what's kind of natural uh, to Alex, because not everybody played that way. Guys didn't see the game quite like that. You can't, if you watch a Kucherov, for instance, as a sake of example, or a Miko Rant in Colorado, you watch these, these hockey players or, or Sidney Crosby, um, Connor McDavid, the great players in our game, it's, it's their mind. It's, it's what they see. It's how they process. Not everybody processes like that. And I think that's the unique look is because that's how he played the game. He processed things instinctively. I, I coached Adam Oates years ago in Washington. Adam's the smartest hockey player I've ever, I've ever coached. He's the smartest player I've ever been around. It, Adam would come to the bench and those were the early days of 
we actually had a bench monitor. We were the first team to do it in Washington. And he wanted to see it when he came on the, off the parkour. He wanted to see the video because he and and he could actually he could dictate to you what he just saw. It was as if he was it was as if he was slowing it down and watching it. That's how smart he was. He had a mind like that, and Tanks has that kind of mind. So I think that gives you that sort of unique look. And he'll look at it from that angle. But the other four guys have to respond to it because if only one guy thinks like that and the other four don't, don't nothing will happen. So sure. that vision for a particular individual, it has to relate to the other five guys on the ice. So I think those are the kind of things that he can bring and begin to elevate the thought process of some really talented young players. And, and, and that goes, and, and everybody, uh, everybody in the organization, even the older guys, but it will give them a chance to process things different and elevate a little bit differently. He's a, he's a guy, for instance, around the net. He likes to see a net front guy um, kind of push his rear end and create space on a defender and make a stick available. He wants to work, work for this sort of goal mouth play, kind of a, ends up kind of being a backdoor tap in. Those kind of things he'll look for. He would look for it with the puck, but, the, but he's got to have the right guy supporting him as well. So these kind of, these kind of thoughts – are what goes in his head. That's, that's how he played. He played the game like that. So I think that's the unique view. And I, and I think it's going to be, uh, it's going to be great for Jeff and, and the staff and, and for the young players that it's going to give them maybe a little different look at some things and help them to continue to elevate their game, which, which is, you know, which will be great, but it just can't be one guy. It's got to be everybody working in sync. They got to think that way. So that's kind of, he was always talking to his line mates uh, on the bench. And it was always kind of, like I said, moving, kind of moving the pieces on the chessboard in order to be able to attack and how he thought you should attack. So what I kind of gathered from that and, you know, correct me if I'm wrong here, but basically, you know, players who, like Alex Tanger, like Adam Oates, like you just mentioned, or like the Tampa Bay power play, Nikita Kucherov, they have uh, the knowledge of the game that allows them. I, I like to think of like a power play as like a decision-making tree, right? And go to the right corner. Did the defenseman follow you? Yes. You know, pass you or whatever it may be. And the, the longer it is, the more prepared you are. And I feel like with a lot of stagnant power plays, it's because there's not a lot of options on that decision-making tree. Hey, pass here. Is that guy covered? You're screwed. And that's, you know, like not to speak on the Red Wing situation specifically, but I feel like a lot of times when you watch bad power plays, that is uh, a part of it. But I also think that there's a lot of people out there who say, you know, just let the guys get creative, let the guys get creative. What I think of and what excites me about the arrival of Alex Tangay is that, he he has like the structure comes before the creativity, but the creativity is necessary because the structure will be nothing without it. And and I, I feel like in some of the more stagnant power plays, maybe some of the more old school power plays, that second part isn't there. It's just the system is the system. Follow the system. And, you know, that's how we're going to try and score. Is that like an OK way to kind of describe it? Am I? Am I off? Am I on? Yeah, no, I, I think you know, we kind of what we were talking about in the first question is you got to establish a base to it. Mm -hmm. And so there's a couple of things. Number one, face-offs are critical. Mm -hmm. So 
and what Montreal couldn't do, for instance, in their power play last night, they had a couple. Of, they didn't win the faceoffs. They were losing faceoffs, and it it goes down the ice. So now, if you don't enter the first time up the ice and it gets cut and sent down again, you're likely 30 to 40 seconds into the power play by now. Your first unit is now looking likely to get off and you've you've disrupted your rhythm, right? Penalty killing is all about disrupting the power play. So the face-off is critical. That's one step. Puck recovery is number two and your entries is number three. Those are some things that you don't always look at in the grand scheme of things. And your entries have to fit your personnel and yet they have to be able to attack what you're going to see in the opposition penalty kill to the neutral zone. So, or up ice. So these, these are some, these are factors that, that come into play. They're part of the base, not just what happens in zone. So that's like Montreal last night on that set, They couldn't get in the zone. They get in at the very end of one power play and Caulfield hit the, hit the, hit the crossbar. And that was about the only, and he had a tip in. He had a tip from, I think Perry sent one to him and he had a tip at the net front. And that was all because he couldn't get in the zone. So that's a big piece of it. And they didn't win the face off. So those are some things that come into play in the zone. I think, yeah, I agree with what you're saying. You have to put, you have to maximize guys to play to their strengths. It's a particular individual and it's got to fit with the other five. What I think will be a pillar from there is you got to create some options that fit with that group. There's got to be some diversity to the power play. There's got to be able to adjust to the PK, but there's got to be things that you do that you do well that will allow you to execute. I think when he establishes that, once he can establish that, then you can begin to add some wrinkles to it. And then you can add some different looks that the guys, now they have a base, they have success, and now you can add a couple of different options off of a, a couple of different situations that may develop from penalty killing unit. It might even be team specific, and then it really starts to grow. And if you can get that consistency with your group together, that's huge. And then what ends up happening is the players begin to talk about it a little bit and they get to know each other a little bit more. And then it sort of, evolves from there. When you look at Tampa's power play or Boston's power play, really good power play units have been together a long time. They have, they have, you know, Tampa, they're going to try and get the puck into point. That's what they're going to try to do. And they have different ways of doing it, but then they've been together so long now. They, 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 Washington's another one, Pittsburgh's another one. They kind of, they, they, but they can read and react off another one another because they've been together for so long. And that's just, that's a complimentary skill set. But those, those teams and those, mm -hmm. that personnel has been together a long time. So I think what Alex, what his, what the challenge was this year was establishing a group and, and our lineup changed a lot this year because of the taxi squad and mm -hmm. we COVID outbreak in Minnesota that affected us. We had our own injuries. So we didn't get consistent till the second half of the year. And when Matt Boldy came to us, that sort of changed the dynamic. And at that point, after I've seen guys for 18, 19 games, he had a better sense of their strengths. He had people in the right spots at that point. And then he had some, he had some consistent options that we were looking for. But once we were able to get that sort of down, then he was able to tweak it 
and add and, and, and kind of build off of it and then add some more, you know, creative looks depending on what what the penalty killers were trying to take away from us, for instance, and some different options at that point. So, yes, I think that's what you were saying. I think that's the that's what you want to try to do is create that base of personnel, get everybody in the right spot, give them some options that play to their strengths, execute that, become really good at those options. And then once you get there and teams start to try to take away some things, then you start to add to it. And you look at Tampa, you know, point hit the post the other night in the first period in game four. It was a great play, goal line and out. I know it went from Kucherov to him. And then Montreal started to really um, play play tight to – they tried to play tight to point. They tried to take Stamkos away. So then they started to get the puck up top to uh, to Hedman, and he was and he was pounding away from up top. So those are some of the things that you'll build in, in into the unit, and I think that's what Tangs will will be able to do. And that's what and and you've got to he'll just have to be, be patient too because there'll be some growing pains. There always is, he, mm-hmm. but stay with it. Let them work themselves out of it. Tweak it as you need to, but establish that that found that that foundation. And then once it starts to have some success, then it becomes really powerful. Just got to jump in here real quick to talk to you guys today about Built Bar's new limited time flavor, the Built Grasshopper Cookie. Uh, This is a limited time flavor, folks. Available this week only, July 6th to July 9th. Get the new Built Bar flavor, Grasshopper Cookie. They sent a box to my house, I believe it was like a month or two ago, uh, and they were gone within a matter of three days. So that means two of the days I had two Built Bars. One of the days I only had one, and that was the day I was the saddest. Uh, What does it taste like? This is Built Bar's version of the classic Thin Mint cookie, all the flavor without all that sugar. You get 17 grams of protein at the expense of only 150 calories, only 5 grams of sugar. Did you know that Built Bar has so many delicious flavors that even if that doesn't sound good to you somehow, I don't know, you're probably a crazy person, they still have something for you. They have nine uh, delicious flavors. They're all covered in 100% chocolate, soft and easy to chew. So order today and get the grasshopper cookie or the uh, salted caramel, raspberry, whatever you would like, um, and use the promo code LOCKED15 for 15% off of your first order. Built Bar is the official protein bar of the U.S. track and field team. That's pretty neat. Go to Built.com, use the promo code LOCKED15, and you'll get 15% off of your first order. That's promo code LOCKED15 for 15% off at Built.com. Right from the faceoff, Bradley's control, Conwall to Setterberg. So we've talked about him and his strategies on the ice and such as far as working with individual players off the ice. Is he a big film room guy? Um, How often is he working with players off the ice? And and I guess, what is he doing off the ice as well? So, you know, you always worry when you're hiring. I actually talked to Jeff about this. When you're hiring an ex-player who is an elite player, how much are they going to be willing to do the work as a coach? Cause it's completely different on right. the coaching side of it. The players play and the players win hockey games, but the coaching side of it's completely different. You know, you come in, you practice, you do your work, you're done, you go home. Coaches are, there's a lot to do that goes into it. So your, your first, your first question in your mind is, 
And we talked about this, Jeff and I, is, is you know, is he, was he committed? I knew him. So I might've been even more hesitant at that time. He called me. I had, we had made a change and Alex called me and was interested, wanted to get into coaching. So we started to talk a little bit more about it. And I knew him. I coached him for almost three years. He was traded right after the Coors Field game uh, to, to, um, to Phoenix. And, and uh, so we, you know, but I, I knew what he, I knew how much he loved the game. So I, and I, you know, and we were good friends and I really enjoyed coaching. We had a good relationship and I liked his mind. I thought it'd be a great addition for our team with more and more young players starting to come through uh, our organization as well. Now his work ethic is outstanding. That was from day one. He wants to be a coach. He moved to Des Moines without his family. Um, that's not easy to do. And you've played your whole career in the national hockey league and you're flying charters and you're staying at Ritz Carlton's. And as, as funny as it sounds, that's the reality of it to come to Des Moines, Iowa and to ride buses seven hours and 15 minutes to Grand Rapids and then back seven hours and, and, and play the next night. Uh, it's, it's a lot different. And he was committed. So I think that in itself showed his commitment to wanting to be a coach. And then his work ethic was, was there. And he had to, he had to learn the skills of a coach breaking down tape, breaking down video and cleaning up your cut-ups and how to, how to spice up your cut-ups and how to present. Uh, that's all part of it. It's just like a player. It's all part of it. And English is not his first language. French is his first language. His time at the NHL network was really good for him. He's a very, very bright person, a very, very bright. And he, you know, the NHL network helped him to learn to express himself in English. And that helped him be, become a coach in the sense of presenting. And at first, yeah, you get anybody, you get nervous the first time yeah. you're up in front of a team and you're presenting a video. It's natural. You want to make sure your video is right. Your videos, you know, you're, you're teaching the right points, mm. ask your questions. So it, even as great a player as he was, it's still different. Yeah. So that part of it over the two years, that efficiency in the language and presenting really, really improved. But the work ethic to break the video down, to do the video, um, whether it was the first year with forwards doing individual work, video work with them, uh, the penalty kill, preparing for the penalty kill meetings. Uh, maybe you grab a guy or two uh, in the middle of the week when, we're, when it's practice days, just to go over a couple, maybe it's two forwards, a couple of things that happen on the PK, those type of things, uh, being prepared for his meetings. Uh, this year with the D, and this year, he did both. He did PK and PP this year. So very prepared, very willing to work, do the work, very willing to stay as long as he needs to to get the work done, to take it home. He cares about the players, he, he, and he wants to make them better. And he wants to make them better individually and how they fit with the whole group. So, the, and, he, and he's good on, on the ice. Uh, you know, we go out early. I'd have the forwards this year. He'd have the D. He's out there early, ready to work with them, work with them after practice. So in whatever capacity he needs uh, to help elevate and help players evolve, he's committed to it. His work ethic is there. 
He loves, he loves coaching and he wants to make guys better and he, and he wants to win hockey games and he's part of a team. He is, he was, he's always got a smile on his face. Um, loves coming to the rink. He'll be a good teammate in the coaching staff. He'll be a too good teammate with the whole staff and he'll be a good, and he'll, and he'll be uh, very upbeat and accessible uh, with the players, you know, so good locker room guy, really how he, how he is on a, on a day-to-day basis, a big smile on his face all the time. Used to drive me crazy in practice because if we were doing a short ice breakout drill, the first time he went, I knew he was sending us a, a pass because you're trying to keep it going with one puck. I knew the first pass was coming into my, on my backhand or into my feet. And was, I'd have to catch it. And I could see his smile because he'd be smirk and he'd piss me off. But that's out. He's, he's got a great sense of humor, uh, and and it will be um, any any that that positive attitude is he exudes that. And he's a uh, perfect fit on Detroit staff. It kind of seems like they're going with the uh, the hairless coaching staff direction <laughs> over there. So uh, yeah. a perfect fit there, Tim. Thank you so much for joining us today, man. I feel like if you're a Red Wings fan who's not excited about the Alex Tangay hiring at this point, I do not know yeah. what to tell you. Check your pulse, go to the doctor, do something along those lines. I do have one more question for you before you get out of here, because I was looking at your hockey DB page. I'm sorry. Do, do you got to go? No, go ahead. Okay. Wait. Uh, one more question before you get out of here. Uh, 93, 94, you get your start in coaching with the Anaheim mighty ducks were you at the inaugural game and what do you remember the most about the pre-game ice dance uh electric um thing that they ran out with the animatronics and all that other stuff it was quite different <laughs> um we had we had a parade a couple of quick so we had a parade at disney before we even played our first game uh, down Main Street at Disney. It was cool being hooked into. I'm, I'm a Disney. I'm a crazy Disney fan. Yeah. And and so it was really neat, but it was really different in that sense. Uh, when you when we got there, you know, when you go to Disney Disneyland or Disney World, they have the name tags, right? Your names on it, <laughs> and they and they'll tell you where you're from and so forth. So we we had the. Uh, we got the ta- we got the name tags right away that they expected us to wear them around the rink. That was part of it. Uh, and and Jack Ferrer, our GM, went to Tony Tavares and said, "We can't." They used to call us cast members because we were <laughs> all the Disney wow. employees are cast members. We were called cast members, and so we oh have, my still have mine. My wife kept it. And it's actually kind of cool. Uh, though, Jack big, said, well, we, they can't, they're not going to be wearing those around the rink. It's a little bit different. So that, that went well, wow. particular night. What I remember is the show. And then Ron Wilson, who was the head coach, Al Sims and myself, staffs were a lot smaller in those days. We had to go out. We were a part of it. We got introduced and we were, <laughs> the, the, you know, the, the production sweatsuits. Ironically, we're playing the Red Wings that night. Yeah. The Red Wings were loaded at the time <laughs> before they won the cup, but they were loaded uh, with that with that group. And, and um, we went out and, and the whole thing's going on. And then we stop and the, the, the show ends is Wild Wing. There's this guy called the Iceman, the Iceman. <laughs> he was playing the guitar. He looked like Mr. Freeze from Batman. <laughs> we're in Sunrise, myself, Alan Ron. 
And we had this thing where we would shake hands and we're like looking at each other, like, my God, what, what's really going on here? And so we had to hustle back in and get into our suits because we we're getting ready for warmups was coming, was happening right after that. So I do remember that. And the next day, people didn't like the Iceman. <laughs> the title in the Orange County Register the next day, they gassed him after the first game. And it said the Iceman came and the Iceman is goeth. That was the uh, that was the that was the end of the ice. Oh, that's harsh. Oh. We got smoked that night by the Red Wings. I think it was seven to two. Sean Hill scored our first goal, but we 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 were a little bit outclassed that night. But the production was good. Wow. You know, the the biggest mistake they ever did was like giving in to the idea that their Mighty Ducks logo was like too Disney ish. Because if they would have just like kept it and let it stand the test of time, like. That, that would have, at some point along the lines, became a classic, and now they would have never been stuck with I I'm very, very prejudiced against their current uniforms. I think they're terrible uh, just because I'm – The duck was really cool. It was cool. It, it, was, was, really it was ahead cool. of its time. It like, was really – cool. actually, all kidding aside, it was awesome. And and sort of – that was – in and that, that sort of sort – of, it was always – I mean, it was always done first class, but that kind of stuff sort of fizzled away and – you know, by 97, we lost to the Wings in the second round of the playoffs. We beat Phoenix in seven games and then lost to the Wings in, in four games in 97. And um, Scotty Bowman said to Ron, that was, you know, that was a six-game sweep because we we had lost in both a single, a double, and a triple over. They were better than us, but mm-hmm. pretty as competitive as we could make it. And, you know, Scotty Bowman said, you know, it was a six game sweep, which is really what it was. So, but by then we had Solani and, and Paul, Paul yeah. first draft, Korea, Solani, we had Steve Ruchin. We were a really good hockey team and it was still Disney, but sort of the stuff that people equated to the movie had sort of simmered. We were, we were an NHL. A legit hockey team. Like, yeah. We were very good. Yeah. Uh, all right, Tim, thank you so much for all of your time thank today. You. Uh, you have been very generous with it. Uh, appreciate the stories. Appreciate the insight on our new friend here in Detroit, Alex Tangay. And uh, what do you what do you got coming up? Anything you'd like to plug? I don't know. You, you have written a book or anything like that? Or <laughs> it's your time to shine. Uh, no, I, I did actually contribute to a book. It's a coaching book by a guy named Ty Newberry. But uh, other than that, no. Um, nice and quiet. And I've got... Uh, I got a USA hockey level five symposium coming up in, in August. So maybe that'd be online. So I'm not quite sure what it's going to be, but I do have on the NHL coaching site on offensive zone presentation. So everybody wants to see that about how we do our offensive zone in Iowa. They can watch that. How's that? Yeah, absolutely. Definitely go check that out. Uh, We'll see you next time, Tim. Thank you so much. Go, go, uh, go buy tickets to a Griffin's wild game and, and hold up a sign that says, I hate everybody in the wild, except for Tim. <laughs> I appreciate that. So I appreciate there you go. that. Yeah. You got a good one in tangs. Good luck guys. Good to you you yep, got a good man it. in tangs. Take it easy. Appreciate Bye, it guys. All right. That'll do it for today's episode. That'll do it for this week's episodes. A short week. We're still happy to have you along every step of the way. Be sure to subscribe. It's the only way to make sure that each and every morning when you wake up, a new episode is uh, waiting for you, ready for your morning commute. Uh, be sure to tell us podcast about somebody to, to somebody you love. Tell it to uh, somebody you care about, somebody who loves the Red Wings. Um, and we'll see you guys back here on Monday. Same time, same place. It's your team every day. 
Locked On Red Wings, your daily podcast on the Detroit Red Wings, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day.